when I first started, I didn't really know what it was like. Can you confirm for me what the difference is? I feel like a lot of people aren't super clear on what it is as well. It's not just class, you know, it's not someone's there like to help you, like you're driving everything. Trump's gonna find my paper and use it as like a, climate change doesn't exist. <laughs> Painful yet enjoyable and life-changing. There you go. That's my five <laughs> words. Smoking Bunsen burners. We are into our second last episode of HDR. What? I have such a treat lined up for you this time. We'll be chatting all things marine research with Amelia Rose Pisano, who has completed her honours year and is now in her PhD doing more funky doodle things with algae. It's so interesting and a little bit extended. So I really hope you enjoy. You're in a different lab and you're working in marine science. Yep. with a totally different group of people and will have a very different experience to what we're doing with plants. So thank you so much, Amelia. Uh, If you'd like to start with five words to sum up your research. Well, so algae um, as a new cotton fibre. Yes. Give us the, you know, the one minute lowdown. Yeah. So as we know, cotton cotton is the number one source of cellulose fibers but cotton takes stupid amounts of land and water um, pesticides genetic mutation to grow and to have it um, most of the world's fibers are cotton and i mean yeah we've got other cellulose based fibers like hemp uh, pineapple leaves all these different things but cotton is sort of the main one and if you look at the cell structure of algae one of the main structures of the cell wall is cellulose. So it's like, why can't we use this to as a new substitute for cotton? Because we can grow algae in wastewater. Algae just grows in biomass in dirty water. It has multiple effects. And we can use this algae, which people try and kill. We can harvest it. Like we already harvest it for biofuels and... Um, different uh, medical resources so why not use it as a cotton substitute so this is why I'm looking into it using it um, extracting it with different chemical processes and hopefully we get uh, fabric from it eventually one day down the track but yeah it's such an amazing project (laughs) and really cool research I love that you might be like making clothes in the end what is a lesser known fact about you do you have like an interesting hobby or skill yeah so I love to do flower arrangements I do wedding flowers because why not yes I'm a marine biologist but who doesn't love pretty flowers in their lives so it all comes back to plants after all what's your business name uh floral tides just a sneaky name drop there (laughs) if anybody needs flowers you know you know where to go (laughs) Yeah, I think as environmental scientists, like, you know, I mean, I went to plants, you went into marine, but we both love, like, the crossover. Exactly right. Follow your heart's desires. So why did you choose to go into research and how did you get there? So how did you set it up, find your supervisor, uh, a topic, what spurred you to do choose the topic that you're doing? I never knew what field I really wanted to go into, but the way I got to the project I'm on is I just approached my lecturers and tutorial 
teachers and everything, asked them how they got into it, um, spoke to them about what topics were on offer. So did you have to pitch yourself to your supervisor saying like, this is my work, this is my... Or was it more like uh, your the um, project was advertised and you said I'd be suited to this or so, you applied? No, it was me just... Uh, gen- at first I just sent out a general email to my supervisors asking like the supervisors that I liked and who I knew were doing had some projects going on I was like um is like what projects are you going to be working on can I have a look because I'm definitely interested in doing research I do have there uh, originally I wanted to work with jellyfish so I did like say I really enjoy like the whole concept of jellyfish but I do also like algae because I know that's definitely where the industry's go industry's heading um and like even just having the mindset of an industrial project is really handy because that'll broaden the field again like in different times of pro- different types of projects yeah I recall you saying that you because you I remember the jellyfish thing and you were really interested in jellyfish as much as I like wanted to work with jellyfish at the time I had to think back again and be like wait a second, what's something that is getting more of the funding at the moment that people are publishing more and wanting to know more about? Because I needed to consider that in the sense that I want to do well. And then one day down the track, once I've kind of established myself, then I can go and do jellyfish again one day because it's something that is still understudied, but it's not really where anyone's looking for looking into at the moment. I'm really glad you said that because I think a lot of times you ask people about research and they say follow your passion and that's very open-ended and broad and I think you, you do actually need to consider what after you finish what is this where is this going to take you yeah that's exactly that, right yeah I think that's really important thank you if you could go back to when you were in second year or third year doing environmental remediation what advice would you give to yourself um I just like I mean I I did enjoy myself back then um but definitely too enjoy your time as a student because you're not a student for very long so just enjoy it and talk to your lecturers and your tutorial teachers more often because again they've been through it all and if you do want to work out if you are unsure about where you want to end up they are definitely people who can help you and I, sh- I wish I had done that sooner because it did take me a really long time to decide, do I want to do research or do I want to go out into the workforce? And it was very much last minute that I had decided, but I wish I had kind of worked it out sooner on, sooner. Yeah. If there's one thing that I hope this podcast can do, it's that I hope it gets you thinking about what you might be interested in a little earlier than what Amelia and I did. Um, you chose to do honours. Yeah. I wanted to ask you your reasoning around how come you chose honours and not masters? Uh, did you always plan to go into PhD? So with um, a lot of marine biology students, they actually prefer doing the one-year honours um, rather than the two-year masters, unless it's more of a coral-based study. That's when you'll do the masters. A lot of the time they'll... Um, they'll prefer you to do an honours and then go into a PhD, which is a potential progression of your honours, or it could be a completely different project, which is what I did. And with honours, like it's very fast paced, intense, 
essentially you get eight months to do a 20,000 word thesis, but it's really good. It gives you a good insight into what a PhD is like. It's a very condensed version of a PhD, fast pace, but yeah, definitely for the marine biology people, they push for honours because they kind of want you to then go on and do a PhD. Out of the ones who did honours through my year, I was the only one who did PhD. A lot of them didn't necessarily want to do a PhD. So at least like with masters, you can go on and do a PhD internationally very easily. But with an honours, it's a bit more difficult. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I've been trying to crack about this whole masters versus honours in Australia versus overseas. So you reckon that it is a bit harder to go into a PhD program if you've got a honours. They prefer to have masters. Yeah, well, um, especially internationally, I've found that's definitely the case because with masters, especially like a masters by research, you've got that longer period of time. I mean, you don't necessarily develop a greater range of skills, but you've definitely got a better writing ability um, and a better handle on time management. Whereas in honours, there's not as many assessments as in a master's, um, and it, like I said, it's very fast-paced. Um, With the fast-paced, like, coming back to that, yeah. I was in master's while you were doing yes. your honours, and I sort of saw you guys and thought you guys were running around like <laughs> headless chickens. Yeah, It looked very intense, and I know it was a lot of lab work as well. Yeah, It did honestly look like you were squeezing in uh, a master's project into one year. Um, it is essentially <laughs> what you do. Um yeah. yeah, but like at least like masters is good. You can get a lot more papers out of a masters than you can an honors. But if you want something that's going to get you into a PhD in Australia quicker than otherwise, then this is a good option. But like with masters, depending on your project, there's always the option to convert it into a PhD. That's what yours truly did, and I recommend it. Except you don't have an honours to help you get a stipend or a scholarship. For those you need to have published papers or research experience like an honours to make yourself competitive against other candidates. But if you're a domestic student, the Australian government actually pays for your tuition fees if you're doing a research degree. So that's a master's by research or a PhD, which is actually something I didn't know until I enrolled. That's also available to overseas students, but it depends on how the university does a selection process. It may be competitive, kind of like the stipend. In any case, it's something you need to mull over if finances are a huge consideration for you. I did my honours with a lot of um, medical science students who then um, did the honours primarily because that was their way into doing medical science and becoming a doctor. Yeah, I'm actually going to be talking to Kieran, who did his honours program with you. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? Kieran's doing a medical degree? Alas, it is a different Kieran. Not how trusty demonstrator Kieran Young. Yeah. So do you feel like it is a little less stressful in that regard? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say less stressful. Like, there is definitely still stress involved, (laughs) as there is in any research project. Like, if something isn't working or if something goes wrong. Yeah. But it's just not, it's not as fast paced. Do you have any advice for someone, say they're, you know, they're green as a leaf, 
they're still in undergrad, they haven't talked to anyone, how would they be like, you know, actually, I'm kind of interested in research, maybe that might be something I yeah, want to do. Yeah, so the first, well, I know it, the first thing I did, if there was a lecturer that I liked, um, I would, I just went straight up to them and would be like, look, I am starting to be interested in research. Do you know anyone I could talk to? Do you have any suggestions? Again, you can look online for projects or even just look in papers, um, do a Google Scholar search on papers and topics you're interested in and look at the schools and the different universities who are doing these ones um, and contact them and see if they're still doing research in those areas. Um, That's definitely a way to go. Yeah, I think it's sort of... It's a little bit hard, especially for this cohort, that they can't just go up after a lecture. So I think it'll be biting that bullet of sending an email because it can be daunting uh, reaching out initially. It is quite daunting. And I know I did send a few emails like with a paper attached to a couple universities. And like when you get good marks in a paper in undergrad and you send it off to a researcher and they just tear it apart, it's like, oh, okay then let's maybe talk to a supervisor first and then go out again and so it is hard to like go external but it's definitely worth doing because you learn where you need improvement did they actually like shred your paper that you sent to them holy moly it was interesting it's like okay this is good like because they want to see like your writing ability they want to know that you can still write relatively well I mean that that is that is a tough rejection you've done well to just like back that away because that's going to happen yeah and actually with writing particularly if people are worried about their writing skills I've looked back on my assignments in undergrad in environmental remediation I was like I would not give this full marks this was not Great. Yeah. I've seen amazing assignments <laughs> from people and they've been way better than the ones I wrote. Yeah, I do and the same thing. Yeah. Your writing really improves just with practice. Definitely. Yeah. And even if it is like, even if they rip it to shreds, you learn from it and you rem- you realize, yeah, that is pretty bad. Let's do better. So. And to be honest, if they're giving you feedback on it, that is still valuable. And it is incredible that they would give their time to give you feedback on it. So long as it wasn't just a shredding. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, but that's it. They did give me feedback, which was really handy. And like, I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't get that initial feedback. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess welcoming rejection is actually better than It's it's a hard skill to learn, but you, Mm. it is definitely worth being able to handle rejection it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. You're going to come across it wherever you are anyway. Yes. Whether when you're in research or out on the job. What do you think is the most common misconception about being a research student? I found with this, a lot of people, a lot of external people think you don't have a social life when you do research. And that is definitely a common misconception because you need a social life when you do research. Like you need the social community within like your research group otherwise you don't go anywhere like you need to have a sort of friendship base within your research group to learn off each other and then just to keep you sane because you will get stressed and you there will be times where you are in the labs for like a solid 12 to 24 hours so you definitely need that social aspect within the uni and then you can still have it externally like with your usual friendship group like and I know like I do it just weekends you just have to you set yourself the time like you would with a job with any other job you have your say five day working week and then you have your weekend and where you just don't think about it you just 
it is a thing that we do have. Like we're not just in the lab 24-7. Yeah, I take weekends as well. I I know you go to, you're a big concert goer, right? I was lucky enough that um, I got to go to Splendor last year um, with our algae, algae research committee and support and promote algae and how algae is amazing for the environment. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, we went to Splendor last year with a couple different other algal researchers. Um, we set up what we call an algae tree. So people would come along and like they would fill up a little IV bag with um, algae that we had brought. And this algae was then like demonstrating your carbon footprint, like reducing your carbon footprint, how algae does remove CO2 from the atmosphere, produces oxygen. I'm sorry, all you plant people, but algae does produce more oxygen than trees. And so it is a fact. <laughs> um, and that's what we were trying to show, like how much, how algae is amazing. Like we had bought, we had a setup there that had about 900 litres I think of algae and we were saying that this algae in the three days of the Splendor Festival was producing more oxygen than one hectare of um, Australian bushland so yeah and what was the response the response was really good people were amazed like they never thought algae could be used like this and um we had also like a couple different setups we had like algae face masks and we had we had like diy algae body scrubs oh my gosh um, are they uh commercial at the moment face masks yeah you can get algae based face masks that's yeah. definitely um and like we showed like obviously agar um like used for jelly and stuff that's algae byproduct so we were like educating people on this and all the algae that we used at the festival was then used as a um, fertilizer for the Splendor Fields. So just showing like its multi-functionality. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, algae's pretty, pretty badass. Yeah, it, it is quite badass. I will agree yeah, with that. You sort of turned me. Maybe I should have done algae research. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Stick to terrestrial, stick to terrestrial. Um, <laughs> Aquatic uh, is another and... world. <laughs> Um, and also, you guys also had an installation in the Vivid Festival. Yes, yeah. So this Vivid installation is one of the ones we bought to Splendor as well. This this particular installation, again, will produce like more oxygen than one hectare of Australian bush and just um, promoting algae. Um, it's multi-purposes. Like we can even get pigments from algaes all different colored algaes like you can the main three marine algaes like there's brown red and green but we can also get like blue pigments red like it's it's crazy so cool and so great like if you can get that range of colors for when you turn that into clothes yes yeah you don't need to use harmful dyes yeah and like i mean we use like the blue algae like a spirulina who who has spirulina smoothies so many people have spirulina smoothies and take spirulina tablets so it's a blue algae for it's like uh really good for you is it like really good for you (laughs) it's like you know how people take fish oil spirulina is like an alternative okay 
It's not placebo. No, it's not placebo. Oh my god, this is the science. This is the science. This is this is is this this is legit. (laughs) Okay, well, I haven't read the papers, any papers on it, so I'm going to take your word for it uh, because you're the scientist and we believe (laughs) scientists. So are you, but you know, different 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 things. Yeah, but not in not in spirulina. (laughs) Uh, Maybe spirulina pasta. That'd be my expert area. Mm. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) We've all got whoopsies moments in research what was your biggest whoopsie and uh how did you come back from that my biggest whoopsie is i have a habit of losing things and being very clumsy um i now save everything to the cloud because i lost i've lost my data quite often i do remember one afternoon or morning you came in and you said i left my data on the train (laughs) That was a painful one. I couldn't. I had. I left my laptop, my lab book, and my hard drive on the train. Um, Did you get them back? No. So that was like a month of data, just just gone, just just all gone. A doozy whoopsie there. Yeah, that was that was a big one. How do you navigate the tricky parts of doing research? So we like obviously there are lots of different parts. You got to festivals you go to conferences you have lab meetings you do uh analysis the bits that you're like oh this is not something i am good at or have any experience in how do you get help for that it's actually something i've come across a lot in my phd because there's a lot of big equipment that i've needed to use and it's like oh no that's a expensive piece of machinery i really am scared to touch it but everyone around you is really helpful happy to train you happy to help like that's a what a, most of the staff um, and supervisors are there for. They just making sure I'm always friendly, have a knowledge of what I'm meant to do when I go and approach them. It always makes it a lot easier, and then they're more open to helping you. They will train you up properly on a lot of these on a lot of the equipment, especially with like analytical stuff. Um, and then even if you still are unsure, there's always someone else around. You can just be like, hey, can you help me? I'm still a little stuck. Even like a lot of the PhD students, like they're going through the same thing. So they are more than happy to help you. Yeah, I, I, like I'm about to go back into the lab and I've used this machine, this mass spectrometer yeah. a lot. But now I think I may have forgotten yes. and want to be babysat again. <laughs> that was <laughs> me just, the other day. Yeah, yeah I yeah. went to go use the um, SEM imaging and I'm like, oh, this is a big thing. Is this what I do? And Oh, us bantering about scientific machines. Gosh, wet nerds. <laughs> Even though we spent hours on it already. Yeah, it that's just, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, always asking for help and also always giving well not always within reason yeah um giving help when others need it as that's well. that's exactly right you can't just take and not give it's collaboration is definitely key to success in a lot of um lab situations science is about questions learning the unknown so definitely use that to your advantage and environmental remediation i feel was kind of one of the best subjects to do it in because there are so many different areas that we need it in, um, both land and marine. All right, Amelia gave us the goods on how she found a topic that both suited her, but was also in an area that had room to grow. She bunked the myth that we're chained to our lab desks and has dangerously nearly converted us all to doing algae research. Oh my goodness. In our final bonus episode, 
I think if you're going to change unis, you need to be much more familiar with uh, the labs that you apply to. So what they do exactly and uh, a bit general advice, but what kind of culture they have in lab. I'm asking, how do you move to a different university should you want to do your research elsewhere? A former biomedical student who did his honours in the I3 Institute tells us how he made his move into a medical degree. Yeah, well, I, now I really want to hear your answers to all these questions, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, my answers. 